was written in 1636. A man who was a pastor named Martin Reinhardt. He was a Lutheran pastor in a town in Edelburg, Germany. During the 30-year war that ranged from 1618 to 1648. So about the same time we were experiencing our American Thanksgiving. Pastor Reinhardt was one of four pastors who lived in Edelburg. They were a stopping off point for soldiers that would come in to fight the wars that were raging through Europe. And with all of that, the soldiers would come and they would pillage and they would steal and they would cause a ruckus. And the next thing you know, they would bring the plague with them as well. And after that, a famine would hit them. Two of the pastors got out of town and left. One of the other pastors died and left Pastor Rinkert to be the only one left there in town to minister to this large town of Edelburg, Germany. It's said that he preached 4,480 funerals, sometimes 40 to 50 per day, including that of his own wife. And in 1636, in the midst of all of the famine and the plague and the pestilence and the death and the war and the different armies that would come and take over Edelburg, he sat down and he penned those words, how thankful we are to our God. He used that prayer as a hymn to the children to say, you know what, things are hard, things are tough. They're probably not going to get a whole lot better. Our God is great, and we need to be thankful for his love for us. But while we live amongst the death and the despair and the tragedy and everything else, our God has spared our lives for a specific reason. And while it may be hard sometimes for us to find a reason to be thankful, we can certainly be thankful for our salvation that comes through God alone. Puts that song into perspective, doesn't it? A little bit different sort of hymn. The, the music actually wasn't added to it until about 1850. And then they contemporized it, obviously. I started to bring the Mormon Tabernacle Choir in to sing that, but some of you will be like, what is that? What are you doing here? It causes me to think about where we are in our society and about Thanksgiving and what a great time for us to, to pause and be thankful for a great many things. But I would challenge us this morning that we wouldn't be Thanksgiving, we would be Thanksgiving. That, that we would live a life of thankfulness, not just during this holiday time or this season or around the table of, of bounty and overindulgence and the argument of pecan versus pecan or pumpkin versus sweet potato. Everybody knows the sweet potato but that we wouldn't just give thanks during this small time, but we would live thankfully. So this morning, I would encourage you to consider this, that Thanksgiving is not a Thursday in November. It should be every day in the life of a believer. This morning, I plan to speak to both crowds this morning, both those who are believers in Jesus Christ and those who are not believers in Jesus Christ. And to one, I'm going to admonish and encourage, and the other one, I want to tell you so very much how much God loves you. And that in the midst of your trials and tribulations and tough times and heartache and pain and misery and the things that are well outside of your control, there's a lot for you to be thankful for every single day. I think there's no better place in Scripture perhaps for us to see this ideal of thanks living than to look at, at the hard life of those who, who didn't have a whole lot to be thankful for, just like many of us. You see, I'm not aware that this Thanksgiving, that some of you are going to be spending it without a loved one that you spent it with last year. Whether they have passed on, whether they are out of town or in the military or they just decided that the family's cut off. I know that this time of year is particularly challenging for many. 
I also know that sitting around the table that there's going to be lots of conversation and, and we're going to kind of cliche a little bit into let's all go around the table and say one thing we're thankful for today. You know who you are. You're the one who goes, I'm going to pass. I, I, I'll wait. I'm thinking, oh, he took mine. For the life of a believer, we're always thanksgiving. I should be fighting to tell you of the many things I want to be thankful for and that I am thankful for. In fact, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you were to ask me that question at the table, you may have to cut me off after five minutes or maybe ten. We have so very much to be thankful for. And while we may live in a fallen world and it's challenging sometimes, we need to get to think living more, not just thankful more. Because thanks living, I think, flows out. If you have your Bible this morning, I'm going to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 17. We're in the New Testament for the first time in a long time. Did y'all know we have another half of the Bible? <laughs> We've been in Jeremiah for so long, I know. Luke chapter 17, uh, what I love about Luke is that Luke is actually a little bit more chronological than any other book in the New Testament. Luke kind of spells it out for us as things went. We're, we're going we're gonna to start in verse 11, which is the story of the ten lepers. You could also look at John chapter 11, and you could see a, a similar story. And what, what I tell you that because I want you to know that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and, and perhaps he's on his way to Jerusalem for the very last time. And on his way to Jerusalem, he's stopping in all these little towns along the way, and he's performing miracles, and people are coming out, and some are actually coming out and persecuting him, and he's driving out demons, and he's, he's healing the sick and giving the blind back their sight. He, he's causing quite a ruckus, and he's on his way there. But, but on his way, we see this in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19, and it says this. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village... He was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to them, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. This is a fascinating few verses of scripture. I, I want to give you a little bit of a background. There was this, this constant ethnic battle between Jews and Samaritans. And, and the, the simplicity of this is that in 722 B.C., when Assyria came down and wiped out the northern kingdom of Israel, and they began to live amongst the Assyrians, they began to intermarry and have children, and, and that new generation of Assyrians and, 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 and Israelites became the Samaritans. And so the pure-blood Jewish people, the pure-blood Israelites, said, your half-bloods, your, your half is worthy of the chosen people of God. And so they kind of shunned them and cut them off a little bit. And so when you get to, to John chapter 4 with the woman at the well who's, who's arguing with Jesus of saying, well, we, we, we worship here at Mount Gerizim, but you guys, by the way, you Jews burned down the temples at Mount Gerizim because you didn't think that we should have a temple to worship the same God because we were half Jews. And so there's always this battle between the Samaritans and the Jews, and you'll see that in Luke chapter 10 of the story of the Good Samaritan. 
And, and the reason why it's so interesting, because that good Samaritan is really kind of a slap in the face to the not-so-good Israelite, because he should have been the one who stopped along the way, and the priest should have stopped along the way, but it was the good Samaritan. As far as the Jews were considered, there was no such thing as a good Samaritan unless he were dead. But when you're a leper, when you have a skin disease where things are falling off of you, you are shunned from the community, and they could really care less about your nationality or your ethnicity. We just want to make sure that we keep all of our dirty outside of here. We don't want any of you here with the rest of civilized people in society. And so many times these leper colonies, we didn't care. The only qualification to live here was that you had leprosy. We didn't have a Jewish leper colony and a Samaritan leper colony. We just had a leper colony over here, and that's all that was required to be a part of this group. And so as they heard people coming by, because they were prone to beg and ask for help and cry out, they had heard of this Jesus. They had heard of the one who was healing the sick, raising the dead back to life. And so as they stood, all of them, I would say, on common ground, in need of a Savior, in need of healing, it didn't matter where they were from or what their last names were or what their lineage was, they were sick and they were dying and they heard of Jesus and the only hope they had was that maybe he would come by and heal them. Jesus, Master, come and heal us. And what's so interesting is that Jesus said to them, okay, here's what I want you dirty, unclean fellows to do. Go show yourselves to the priest. Now, this is a problem because the priests actually are the ones who probably condemned the lepers to live outside of town, making them unholy and unclean and could not go to the temple and worship because they were ceremonially unclean. And so Jesus says, here's what I want you to do. And I, I really think this is just kind of the laughter of Jesus a little bit. He goes, all right, I want you guys with your forest skin and ghost scabs and everything go to the priest this is going to be hilarious they're going to know exactly who you are and as soon as you get there they're going to look and go there's not anything wrong with him oh man now we got to bless him and cleanse him and let him into the temple to worship it's so fascinating that jesus would say here's what i want you to do i want you to go to these whole highly of these holy high people over here and let them validate what I just did with my spoken word. And all 10 of them went, not all of them by which were Jews who should know the law, but they couldn't go and do that. And yet it was the one foreigner who came back and it perplexed Jesus in such a way to go, were there not 10 of you? I mean, I'm perfect in everything. Jesus is the only one who can say that. And I know I counted 10 of you. And the only one that came back was the foreigner that our people have been taught to hate? Where were the other nine? This guy's thanksgiving. He is indeed thankful, not just for the physical healing, but, but look what he says at the very end of that passage. Jesus says to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. For someone who struggled, who had such pain physically, who had such social ostracism, who was so disconnected from the rest of society, it was enough to believe in Jesus and call upon his name for his body to be healed. But when Jesus says to him very clearly, rise and go your way, your faith has made you well, the Son of God not only saved and healed his body, he also saved his very soul. That's what thanksgiving is all about. That's what it means to live a thankful life all the time is that my soul has been healed. 
and that the rest of me may be dirty, and the rest of me may have all kinds of other issues, but my soul is forever sealed in eternity because my loving God has said my faith in him, my belief in him, my trust in him, not just to heal my body, but to forgive me of my sins. I've got everything to be thankful for for the rest of my life. There's not anything that can touch me that would stop me from giving thanks to my God for what he has done for my eternal soul. Where are the other nine? Many times throughout scripture, we see that physical needs were met so that spiritual needs could be fulfilled. Acts chapter 3 is a great example of, uh, of the boys were, were, were just past Pentecost. They're walking up to the temple, and there's a lame beggar. And they say to him very clearly, silver and gold have I none, but what I do have in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, stand up and walk. And if that weren't already a fascinating story, it's what Peter and James and John did after that. Whenever they said, now that we got everybody's attention from this guy that's been jumping around up here in the temple, let me tell you about this Jesus that saved him. And 3,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ that day. Your faith has made you well. Many times we don't live a thankful life because our faith is not in alignment with our actions. Our faith is not really, we say we believe this, but we act contradictory to that and it's really challenging for us to live a thankful life and so while we gather around the table and we think from 1636 that there was some guy burying 50 people a day including his own wife and the plague and the famine and even the swiss by the way were against this town and the pastor negotiated with the swiss okay to stop picking on their town and he found time to pin this him of thanks and while we think about this i want to encourage us this morning a couple of ways that we can begin to thanks live that we can start what thanks living looks like it's not an exhaustive list but it's just a couple of things through scripture that i think will be very important for us to take this time of year where we stop and we pause i don't know why we do this i almost feel like we're at the starting blocks for the christmas season like, like that's what thanksgiving is being an old retail guy myself i know exactly what black friday is I know what Roosevelt did. I know why he did it, right? And it's good for the economy and good for America and good for whatever. Okay, great. But we pause, we give thanks, and then we spend the next 45 days trying to figure out if we're really thankful or not or if people are going to be thankful for the gift I give them or not. Can I just tell you the very best gift that we could possibly give anybody at any time of the year, particularly this time of year, is the truth that God loves them very much. And that he not only can heal your body should he choose to do so, but he absolutely desires to heal your soul. That's the best gift you can possibly give. And as a believer, we need to be thanks living all the time. People need to wonder what's wrong with us. I'm just thankful. What do you have to be thankful for? My soul is forever secure because I have my sealed name in Christ. I can start thanks living by acknowledging God's authority in my life. a simple statement it's a lot harder because that means everything god has authority in my life over everything i must submit to him everything must truly belong to him i am but a steward of what he provides for me we had an interesting conversation a minute ago in the adult sunday school class about true communism existing through acts chapter two it was a great concept i really appreciated that that mindset there but the one thing that I, I kind of picked up out of there as we're talking about this is that that true concept means that the ultimate authority is not man or government or one leader or anybody else. It's, it's, it's the Lord God Almighty. 
And so when he is the ultimate authority in everything in my life, particularly in my finances, because those are the things that really seem to really pull on my strings a little bit, that really get under my skin and can really, really divide a crowd pretty quickly. When he is the authority in all things, then I can begin to be thankful for what he's provided for me and the reason he's provided those things for me. I'm not one of those guys that's going to tell you that you shouldn't have nice things, you shouldn't drive nice cars and all that stuff. That's not the case at all. What I am saying is that if God has blessed you in the area of finances, that he's done so so that you might be a blessing to others. And that's not a vow of poverty. That, that's responsibility. That's stewardship. That's trustworthiness. That's someone who, who is thankful all the time and can speak to what's going on in their world, particularly financially, because they are thankful for how God has blessed them so that they might be a blessing to others. That's safe living. Romans chapter 9, verse 20 through 22, is, it's a challenging passage of Scripture, but, but Paul writes to the church at Rome, he says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out some of the lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? In a nutshell, that whole passage just basically says the whole earth is the Lord's and all that is within it. He can do whatever he wants with whoever he wants, but it sure is a whole lot better when he asks me to do what he wants and I go willingly. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm not immune to the idea that God could, could force me into doing things, but he doesn't function that way. Perhaps one of the most frightening and scariest prayers that I've ever prayed is, has, is, is been just honestly with God and saying, I don't want to do what it is you're asking me to do. So, Lord, how about this? Back me into a corner where I either need to submit to you and do what you're asking or I need to try to fight my way through you. Now, just think about that for a moment. I know the right thing to do. I absolutely don't want to do it. And so here's what I want you to do, God. I want you to force me into a place where the only options are to do what you say or to completely ignore you. Now, that's willing and open. The other is how we live every other day. Yeah, God wants me to do this, but I'm not going to do it. I mean, what's the real consequence? And, you know, sometimes the consequences aren't as negative as we like to say. It's not this big wrath and punishment and everything else. It could be. Sometimes the consequence alone is just God is removing that blessing from me from not doing what he asked me to do. But the real consequence is showing the reality of my heart of saying I don't submit to the authority of God in everything in my world. And when I don't submit to the authority of God in everything in my world, it's hard for me to be thankful for the things that he does give me. I start becoming entitled instead of appreciative. I start expecting these things to happen because I'm obedient. No, God can do whatever he wants with you, but your obedience does not hinge upon what he's going to give you as a result of that. He actually very clearly said, if you do this, I will do this. It's, it's, it's very clear. If you don't do this, I won't do this. Those aren't transactional relationships. It's just a matter of we're on the same page here. And if God wants to bless somebody more for doing the same thing that you do, that's God's prerogative. He can do whatever he wants with all these little lumps of clay. Our prerogative is to follow him and to submit to his authority. And when we begin to do so, we'll begin to live with great acknowledgement of God's authority in our life passage of scripture we're all familiar with Matthew 28 18 through 20 the great commission it says and Jesus came and he said to them listen to this all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me I could probably stop right there all authority on heaven and earth has been given to the Lord Jesus Christ and with that authority what he has determined for us to do is, is what happens in verse 19 now go in the name of the uh, therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit 
teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. When we submit to the authority of God, our thankfulness grows up in such a way that we begin to share that with other people, and people come and they listen not just to what we have to say, but like the woman in John 4 says, come meet a man who knows everything about me, and he'll help you even more. Come meet a man who, who, who could have just given me a glass of water, but instead what he did was he satisfied my soul that would never thirst again. So when all authority has been given to heaven and he commands us to go forward, what we recognize is, is that whatever we do as believers, that we live a, a, a thankful lifestyle because we're thankful for the salvation that came to us through the obedience of others who submitted to the authority of Jesus Christ to go and make disciples and to baptize me in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I can be thankful about life at that point. I can even be thankful for green bean casserole. Even though that's tough. I know, that's right. It's sacrilege, right? I don't care if you use onions or not. It doesn't matter. Well, that leads me to my next point, is that we need to demonstrate thankfulness in all circumstances. <laughs> demonstrate gratitude in all circumstances. I, when are you the most grateful for anything? Consider that for a moment. I would tell you that for me, I'm usually the most grateful for things when things turn out better than I expected them or not as bad as I expected them to be. But there's usually a negative association with my gratitude. Like I, I'm thankful things didn't go as bad as they, part of that's I'm a little pessimistic, okay? I know that may shock some of you. But, but I seem to be the most grateful then instead of just having gratitude for my God and King. Who, who loves me, who has endured me for whatever the situation is for his purposes. And if I can demonstrate gratitude in all circumstances, I can understand what the writer of Hebrews says. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Gratitude means that, hey, no matter what happens in this world, the kingdom of heaven cannot be shaken. That kingdom is ruled by one king whom I submit to his authority, and I am grateful to do so because he is with me always, even to the very end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. When persecution comes, don't wonder what you'll say. I'll give you words and wisdom that no man can refute. I have an attitude of gratitude because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, and nothing else really matters short of that. And so when I can live that way, I can begin thanksgiving. Elizabeth Elliot was the uh, wife of Jim Elliot. If you've ever heard the story of Jim Elliot or seen the movie The End of the Spear, he, he was a missionary down in Ecuador, I believe it was. And, and I remember part of the story when he had a young son, he was going to reach an indigenous people who had not heard the gospel and lived very animistic in their practices and everything else. And, and the little boy says, Dad, if they shoot at you, are you going to shoot back? And he says to him, no, I'm not, son. He goes, well, why not? He says, because they're not prepared to meet my needs. Jim Elliott was killed that day when he went in to reach those people, and his wife and his children stayed in Ecuador. If you've seen the film or read the story of Jim Elliott, what you'll find out later on is the man that killed Jim Elliott will become the grandfather to his children, the protector of them. He would be the greatest spokesperson for the gospel in all of that tribe. His wife said this about gratitude. She says, God has promised to supply all our needs. What we do not have now, we do not need now. That pretty much sums up my Christmas shopping right there. <laughs> what we do not have now, we do not need now. Sorry, kids. 
pastor said today. Maybe some of you are getting your Amazon cart right now. Isn't that gratitude? I found the secret of contentment. To thank God in all circumstances. To know that no matter how hard it is or how challenging it is, not only does somebody probably have it a whole lot worse, but they may have it even worse because they don't have Jesus and I do. Church on the Rock here in Katy. Pastor there is an old friend. In the midst of all that was going on, he helped relocate a wedding because it was supposed to happen at his sermon during Hurricane Harvey. His church gets flooded. He finds someplace else for these people to get married. That place gets flooded. In the midst of that, his home gets flooded. In the midst of that, many of his congregation gets flooded. He had a pretty tough time dealing with all of that. In an interview with him, many of us sit down and we're saying, Pastor, how are you doing this? He goes, you know, I started off saying, why me, why me? And then I realized, why not me? I've got Jesus. So much of this community doesn't have Jesus. Yeah, i got six foot of water in my house and it's not going to go anywhere soon. I remember my Lord and Savior correctly. He walked on water, so whether it's six feet or 60 feet, he's greater than that. Why not me? Yeah, we're probably not going to go looking for suffering and all that other stuff. That's where I'm going to have an attitude of gratitude. I'm going to demonstrate that gratitude every day, not just because it could be worse, but because Jesus has promised that it will be better. This one is a challenging one for some of us, but I think it, it kind of has this double whammy type effect that you would speak life into others. Boy, the tongue is something else, isn't it? it, 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 it it's interesting what we say and how we say it and what we hear and what people say to us, but the, the tongue is powerful. Paul writes to the Corinthian church, therefore be encouraged one another and build one another up just as you are doing. And it, it, it speaks likewise to Proverbs chapter 18 where, where perhaps Solomon or David were writing this to one another saying, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruits. Well, Thanksgiving holidays are tough. Because let's face it, we've all got that family member or two or three. Anybody got code words? hippopotamus shows up in the middle of your Thanksgiving dinner. That's cue for the leader of the table to change the subject. Right? I mean, yeah, it's a good idea, right? Yeah. Pass the hippopotamus. I mean, mashed potatoes. Do you remember a couple of years ago, there was a whole guide on how not to talk about politics at Thanksgiving? I, I, I can make this easy for you. You ready? Just talk about Jesus. Just talk about Jesus. love to tell you that he not only can do things for us physically but spiritually he's ready to fulfill every hope and desire and then some beyond that that he's waiting our very soul i'd love to tell you that when he said to the to the leper rise and go your way your faith has made you well he didn't just say that you were physically better or just spiritually better but you had the full well-being of god on your side and there's not anything that can mess with you after that yeah they'll poke and they'll pick and your body may actually suffer some of that thing but at the end of the day your soul is secure forever out of the mouth is the overflow of the heart. And so the tongue is something that we really need to pay attention to. And it's easy to get into these family disputes during this time of year. I would even say that it goes so far as to say, well, I've only going to see these people for a couple hours, so I can say whatever I need to say to them. They're going to go home, and I won't have to deal with this for another year. Not that I've ever experienced that in my life. 
We get bold sometimes, don't we, whenever the time frame is small. Now, I'm just going to poke fun for just a minute, if you will. Anybody ever volunteer to host because you think you can control the situation and win? pastor, it's challenging sometimes to go to family gatherings, particularly with the in-laws and the other side of the family, because it's like I make house calls all of a sudden. This past week, I spent some time with a friend, and y'all know I often don't tell people what I do for a living until I got them lined up. I don't, usually I kind of have a quota on cuss words after they say a cuss word, and I try to tell them what I do for a living. (laughs) Their whole demeanor changes. I'll start chasing them. Look in the face anymore. <laughs> the tongue is powerful. It can build up and it can tear down in a matter of words. It's, it's, it's crazy. The tongue is the fastest healing organ in the entire body. You can bite it, and probably some of you should. And it'll heal real quickly so you can get right back into the venom spitting, right? And you can build it up and bring life to those. It's a great way to be thankful for what we do, it's just to speak life into others speak affirming things of who God says they are. I think I've heard that statement before. God has better things to say about me. I think in line with that too, and this is this is where you just can't pick your family, but you know, when we allow the right influences into our lives, we can really begin things to work. This one's tough because it's like I said, you can't pick your family, and you know, sometimes family just kind of brings out the best in you. <laughs> see him once a year. Aunt Frances, she's something else. We're glad we only see her once a year. It's hard when we think about sitting around a Thanksgiving table or around the living room and we consider that we should not be deceived that bad company ruins good morals. When somebody, particularly if they're in our home, they're pushing the wrong direction, they're pushing against that of Christ, they're pushing into the society, they're bringing in all these other worldly problems, which quite frankly, as simple as it sounds, can be solved by submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. But we get ourselves in such a way that we get wrapped up in that and that influence of that, and before you know it, our plan to hippopotamus out of politics is right in the middle of it. We talk about all the things that are out there that, listen, by the way, at Thanksgiving dinners are not going to change when we're done, by the way. There's not going to be a tapping of the of the gravy spoon and think that everything's just going to magically change. It's not going to happen. And it doesn't mean that we need to push those people away. It means that, that appropriate boundaries are okay because in those boundaries, we say that we live in the world but not of the world. And we do interact with other believers and non-believers, but we can't get so wrapped up in them that they can't see the difference of us being the one that went back and thanked Jesus for healing our souls instead of someone's on my side. Misery doesn't love company, it loves miserable company. Again, the writer of Proverbs says, Give instruction to a wise man, you'll still be wiser. Teach a righteous man, he'll increase in favor with you. It also says, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And friends, it's hard for us to live a thankful lifestyle when we are constantly surrounding ourselves with those who are helping us make bad decisions. If you're thinking about some of the people in your circle of influence and going, man, that friend's really helped me make bad decisions, then you might be that friend 
nobody really complains. No, because behind every bad decision, there's another dude going, you can do it. Yes, if all your friends were jumping off the bridge, you would do it too. by this one a little bit this morning. I have to be honest with you. I was kind of preparing for this week. Uh, many of you don't know, but I, I, I kind of outlined sermons, at least in, in, in broad scale, six to 12 months in advance. And I pray over them and start to study and I gather the tools and I kind of know where I'm going to be. And I had titled this sermon, Thanks for Living, months ago. And on November the 11th, somebody actually wrote an article titled Thanks for Living. What if I said, wow, if you just take that verse and, and in that article, that person, I think we skipped it earlier, but that's okay. They said, thanks for living begins in the mind, filters through our attitudes, and plays out in our actions. Now think about that. It starts with a thought. It changes the way I think and feel and behave, and then it actually comes into our actions when I have faith in Jesus. If I don't live and act according to what I say my faith is, and my faith is not as strong as my own personal beliefs and my own personal attitudes, and if that's the case, then I might really need to reevaluate how changed I really am. That I may have been healed physically and no longer leprous, but my heart is still dying. And that no priest is going to be able to validate that, but only the high priest, King Jesus, who sees my heart and can heal it with just his spoken word can do so if my faith makes me whole. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household? To give him their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find him so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. That, that simple parable there of the master and the servant just basically says, listen, if God has put you in charge of something, he's told you to do something, and you said, yes, God, I will do that. When he comes back, he needs to find you doing that. Lip service is not faithfulness. I'll get to it tomorrow favorite stories is that of the Procrastinators Association of America. Unite tomorrow. Why do today what you can put off to tomorrow? If you want to know what that feels like after church today, maybe at lunch or after lunch, it's going to be a conversation regarding the Christmas decorations. Isn't there? And you're going to procrastinate as long as you possibly can. Husbands, I'm so sorry for this, but with the rain we had yesterday, the ground is perfect to put the little stake in the road right now. It's only going to get harder later in the week. If we act in accordance with our faith, we do what we say we're going to do, we live how we're going to live, we act thankfully. You know, many times I know we've, we've spoken about alcohol use and different things before and where we land on all these things, and I understand that, and I don't want to get into all the details of that. I certainly don't want to detail too much on that, but I'm just going to be, be, be blunt about this for just a minute. The reason I don't consume alcohol personally is, is one, I, as a younger man, I had an unhealthy relationship with it, and I don't ever want to go back there. But secondly, alcohol is a depressant, and I've been called to a life of joy. And for me to live... I have, a, I have a hard enough time being joyful, I'm just going to be honest with you, without chemical assistance. For me to be joyful and to live according to my faith, 
you should not do anything, whether it be consuming alcohol or watching the wrong things on TV or whatever, that bring me past my faith and bring me back into the world. Because that's only the healing of my body, but not the healing of my soul. And I would be amongst the nine that would not return back and give thanks if I wasn't fully healed. Does that make sense? And so I can start, I can start think living by making sure that what I say I believe, I really believe, and I live according to that. And that is an everyday challenge. But I, I, I got news for you, too. I'm not going to grow stronger in that if I stop reevaluating my faith daily. If my faith stops in the fifth grade when I was saved at vacation Bible school and I'm 46 years old today, then I am probably living according to my faith. But God wants more for me than that. And he's shown me how to do that and how I can take that faith and share it with others and I can speak words of life into them and I can submit to God's authority and he can be gracious in my circumstances. I want to end this morning with this last way to live thanksgiving. And that's approaching God with open hands. And it's this one, this, this, as I was preparing this week and, and studying up through this, and I read an article mentioned something about this, and I thought, man, that's, that's really interesting. But when we think about what our relationship with God looks like, so when I say a relationship, that means we spend time with Him, we talk with Him, we, we listen to Him, we, we hear from His Word, we interact and engage with His Word, we engage and interact with other believers in Jesus Christ each and every day. Uh, iron sharpens iron, so is one man sharpen another. You know, these words of affirmation where we speak life into, into people and we hear those things, all those things happen. There, there's still this element that gets in the way sometimes. And let me give you an example of, of what I mean by that. Earlier I said, you know, I've asked the Lord to back me into a corner or force me to fight my way through it. No. That's, that's kind of what happens when we go before the Lord with, with hands clenched on whatever it is we're asking him to do. Lord, I want, I want a new boss but I still want the ability to continue to complain about the old one. Lord, Lord I, I want a new job, and I'm asking you to get me a new job, but, but I'm going to keep working in this one just in case you don't come through on my timeline. Lord, I want my kids to have this or to do this or behave this way, but, but I'm still going to try to do everything from the world's perspective to make that happen. Now, on, on the surface of that, what I mean is that there's no faith behind that. It's like, yeah, I'm, I'm putting it before God, but I, I don't really mean it yet, right? I'm not fully committed to that. And so I'm holding on to it with closed hands. One of the greatest examples we have is Abraham in Genesis chapter 22. The angel said to Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and he rose and went to the place of which God had told him. I can't think of any better open-handed commitment to God than to do what he asks you to do, to take your only son, the son whom you love, to a place I'll show you and offer him as a burnt offering Abraham was probably about 110, 115 years old at this time. 
and he had prayed and been promised a son. His, his, his wife was mute for almost a year. They even tried to have a, a son a different way. They have Ishmael, but the son of the promise was Isaac that God said you would have. Your only son, your one and only son. Do you hear language there in John 3.16? Your one and only son, take him and offer him to me as a sacrifice. Lord, I, I give you a lot of things, but I, I just need to hold on to this. Lord, I would gladly kill a hundred rams and a thousand bulls, but I can't give you my one only son that I love. And, and, and it is a test in such a way that it's not so much the, the action being asked of you, it's the obedience to trust God. On the way up the mountain, you know the story where Isaac would say, where's the ram? God will provide, God will provide. Scripture even says that as Abraham grew, drew back the knife, the angel said, Abraham, Abraham, stop. Because you were willing to do what the Lord asked you to do because you presented your one and only son with open hands to him. Provided for you a different sacrifice. It's to this point this morning that I would challenge you and encourage you to consider what Thanksgiving really looks like and what Thanksgiving is like. When I make my petition known to God, I need to do it with open hands. When I ask the Lord to bless me or to give to me or to or to help me or to move me the right way, I need to do so open hands. It's not a matter of, hey, Lord, I think I've got this figured out. Would you get on board with me as I execute my plan? It's a matter of just being honest and going, I don't have a clue what I'm doing here. Lord, I'm not telling you something you don't know. I'm going to present this with open hands to you because this problem is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And the more I hold on to it, the less thankful I can be for the Lord who provides, for the Lord who heals for the Lord who takes care of these things, for the one who does more than just take care of my body but can save my very soul, that's what surrender really looks like in the heart of a believer. That's what it looks like for parents especially. You know this prayer with your kids. How do you give your children to the Lord and still love them and minister to them and watch them make mistakes no matter what their age is, whether they be 2 or 22 or 32? let you in on a little secret here. Until we give those things over to the Lord and we let him start to speak in their heart, they're not going to make the changes we want to see for them. And be perfectly honest with you, if we're still presenting our children to the Lord or our jobs to the Lord or whatever it is, and we're saying, okay, Lord, I want you to fix this, but I'm going to hold on to it, you're going to be disappointed every time. Every time. Because God's not going to act the way you want him to. He therefore must not be strong enough. And that is not the case. You just, God gets to apply the same thing to you and go, when are you going to just trust me? Jesus very clearly, while he prayed, he mentioned this last week. If there's any other way, take this cup from me. But since there is not, your will, not mine. You want to talk about open-handed? That's what it is to live a thankful life. That's what thanks living is all about. It's not just some Thursday where we get together and eat too much and talk about tryptophan or whatever that stuff is in the turkey that puts us all to sleep, you know. It's what happens on Friday when you're messing with the crowds and everything else. You go, man, I'm so thankful. God saved my soul. I'm so thankful that I can go back to him for everything, not just this season of the year. I don't need to have the 
Christmas spirit and all the holiday stuff. I got the Holy Spirit all the time. Stamped and burned in my heart as a down payment for the Jesus that's going to come and reclaim me. I mean, that's better than whale oil. Or get now, pay later on down the road. Are you thankful living this year? Or are you just trying to mark a little calendar date and do a little Thanksgiving? I want to encourage you to find one thing that's 